In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, um, so we're three weeks into the fast, right? So three, almost half of it's done, actually. And it's, some of us may be excited that we only have like five more weeks of fasting. <laughs> only five more weeks. But then we should also feel maybe a little um, remorse, maybe, if we haven't taken advantage of the fast. Because it's, almost half of it's done and we may not have any, we don't feel like we've had any fruit or taken it seriously. So today I was hoping um, to just recall some of the promises that God has for those who repent, because it's always important just to renew and rejuvenate our repentance, especially during this time. So maybe we can be refocused so that we can take full advantage of the remaining time that we have during the fast uh, to repent and be united with Christ uh, in the Holy Resurrection. Um, and then, <coughs> and uh, so after we recall the promises of God that uh, for those th that are repentant, we'll reflect on some sins that we may not recognize or may not identify often because what may happen, it, what may occur is that I, I feel I don't do any grave sins and I'm not that terrible of a person and I don't feel the, the, the urgency and the need and the weight of my sin, and therefore my repentance is very shallow and almost, you know, I almost feel like I'm only doing it as a formality, but I don't really need the repentance. So we'll discuss some sins that um, we may underrecognize in ourselves so that we would feel our weakness and, our and be humbled by seeing our sin, and that we would ab be able to repent uh, more sincerely and more deeply um, and be united to Christ more fully as a result. Um, and at the end, we'll, we'll, all we'll all choose maybe one sin out of the list that we discussed that maybe we can try to focus on the rest of Lent. So that'll kind of be our homework going forward after the talk. Um, so let's get started. So we're starting off with uh, discussing the blessings that are repentant. Uh, so Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So where is this in the Sermon on the Mount? Is this the beginning, the middle, the end? Where is this? I'm sorry. It's just the very. Be it's the beginning, right? So this is this is the first thing that we have recorded on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's, the scripture says, and Christ, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, right? And this is what he said: "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." So, and and this is also the beginning of the Beatitudes, right? The list of blessings. So. It's, it's as if Christ is telling us like, to begin a relationship with him, to, to be, be able to walk more in, in a deeper way. We have to keep coming back to the state of being in, a p in poor in spirit. So what does poor in spirit mean to you? What does that mean? Yeah, humility, humble, right? So we see... That in ourselves, so a, a, a person who's rich financially has a lot of money, right? A person who's poor financially has, has a little small amount of money. So a person who is poor in spirit looks at themselves and says, I don't have virtues, I don't have love for God, I have a lot of deficiencies. And in that sense, they see that they're poor in spirit. So this is, what, this is the beginning of repentance, is 
to see that I'm poor in spirit, and then that, and then after that, once I see my 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 poverty, my poor my poor state, my depravity, uh, then I'm able to go to God with full urgency and sincerity, begging, asking Him for His forgiveness. So we see um, in Malachi three, the Lord says, "Bring all the tithes into the storehouse." that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So this was, so this can be interpreted, all this can, this can be interpreted literally at the time that they were bringing their tithes to the house of God. And God was saying that if you bring these, if you bring these tithes to my house, you will not lack. But this is also can also be interpreted in a metaphorical way to where we can say we can bring to God what can we offer him we can offer him our free will we can offer him our sincere repentance so when we offer him our sincere repentance in his house what does he say see try me in this if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will be not enough room to fill it. So if we, re- if, we receive, if we read this verse metaphorically, we can take it as if we offer to God sincere repentance, when we go to his house, when we go into our, our closet to pray in our houses, try him and see that he will pour out blessing in your heart as a result of that. So he says, try me. Try me in sincere repentance and see how I will transform you. And that's a call for all of us, that we take him at his word. When we go to him sincerely in repentance, we will see the fruit of that repentance and joy and love and being united with him. So this is a blessing of living a repentant life. Because after this, after this, next, after this slide, we're going to be going through a, lo- a litany of different sins that's going to be kind of may make us feel down and sort of depressed. So I wanted to start us off with knowing that God has joy and victory for us if we repent. So that when we are going through the list of, of sins, we're not overcome with grief, but we can, that grief can be turned into joy when we come to him in sincere repentance. So we read in Joel 2, he says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents of doing harm. So it says, rend your heart. So there's, there's almost, that's a very, gr- almost like a moving or kind of almost graphic kind of description of what sincere repentance is. There's, there's um, a real sense of urgency, a real sense of um, like mourning because of my sin, because I understand the gravity of my sin. And when we, when we see the gravity of our sin and we see who we have sinned against, we will understand that w- that we're in a very depraved state, and then as a result, we'll rend our hearts sincerely and fully to God. So just starting off with sin, because some of the, the things that we're going to discuss as far as um, sins that we may not recognize, we may say that, oh, well, that's not a big deal, that's not a huge deal, that's, that's not, you know, that's not a huge transgression. But we have to look at what really what sin is and not minimize the effect it has on us and what it really, really is. So sin is against God first and foremost. So we read in um, Psalm 50, 51, uh, against you only, 
you only I have sinned and done evil in your sight. So when, where, where did uh, the, the prophet David write this? What was the context of that? Psalm 50. Bathsheba. So he, so he fell in sin with Bathsheba, right? He committed sin with Bathsheba, and he had Uriah killed, her husband. So he committed murder and he committed adultery, correct? And he sinned against the whole nation. I mean, he's the leader of the whole nation. God given, he was the anointed one. He had been anointed several times by the, by the prophet Samuel. He was the anointed person. And he sinned against his nation. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. But then what did he say? He said, against you, talking to God. He said, against you only I have sinned. Because he saw that the, the one he had sinned against the most was that he fell short of God's glory and he fell short of obeying God. And this is how we have to see our sin, is that we, we realize that we, we transgressed the Holy One. This is the one who was, when he was on the mountain, no one was even allowed to, e when, when Moses went to, to uh, receive the Ten Commandments, no one was even allowed to touch the mountain because of the holiness of God on the mountain. No one was even allowed to come to the mountain and touch the, the bottom of the mountain. This is the holy one that we transgress against. So sin leads to death. We read in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. So we shouldn't menial, uh, trivialize or say this sin or that sin is menial or it's not a big deal because the wages of sin is death. Whether we see it as big or small, if it's sin, then it leads to death if it's, if it's unrepentant, if it's, uh, if it's unrepentant of. When I sin, I sin against God before anything else, and I, and I resist him, disobey him, and defy him. And so this is something that, uh, this is actually taken from Pope Shenouda, a book called Ten Concepts, or it's actually multiple tens of concepts. He has like 40 concepts or something. But it's broken up into four sections of ten, con uh, ten concepts, and he's talking about the concept of sin. So he says, when I sin, I sin against God before anything else. I resist him, disobey him, and defy him. So when I sin, I'm actively defying him and disobeying him. And so this is important for us to know because we, we realize that we're sinning against God and, and I'm doing it intentionally, defying him. And that's true of even sins that we may classify as small or menial or trivial. So now we're going to discuss some of the un un underrecognized or un you know, underappreciated sins. Um, so we can kind of examine ourselves to see if how we fall short so that we can deepen our understanding of ourselves and how far we fall short from the glory of God so that we can deepen our repentance um, going forward. So one way in which we, we sin is we, f we, have we fail to pray sincerely and wholeheartedly, right? So we may say like, oh, well, you know, I, I pray every day. I pray in the morning and the evening. Even if I pray, you know, all the seven, seven canonical hours of the Igbeya, you know, I, I'm in good shape. Like, I, I pray, right? But we have to consider that when we pray, do we pray sincerely? Do we pray wholeheartedly? So we should, for example, we should be praying for the body of Christ. For um, as we read in, in 1 Samuel 12, the prophet Samuel says to the, the people of Israel, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. So he understood that if I do not pray for the people of Israel, that I am sinning against God. 
do we feel that way? Do we understand that? If I don't pray for somebody or if, if, if there's someone that God put in my heart or someone that God put in front of me, if I don't pray for them, do I see that as I'm sitting against God? Because it's a sin. When, we're, when, we, when we don't pray for our brethren, that's a sin. So we read in uh, Genesis 4, 9, so uh, Cain had killed his brother Abel, and God, God came to Cain after the fact, and he said, where is your brother? And Cain said in a very insolent, like prideful way, he says, am I my brother's keeper? So if God asks us at, you know, at the end of our life, after, after we depart, why did you not pray for somebody? Is this going to be our response? Am I my brother's keeper? That's a very, it's very serious and it's very weighty. And it's important for us to appreciate the gravity and the importance of this. That if I neglect to pray for my brethren, if I neglect to pray for my family, that I'm committing a sin against God. Or um, in the same vein with regard to prayer, when I pray, am I praying without ceasing? Because St. Paul says, we should pray without ceasing. And we'll discuss this point a little bit later. But can any of us say that we pray without ceasing? Can any of us say that we make any effort to pray without ceasing? Can, it, do all of us, can all of us say with, with um, confidence that I'm growing in my, in my prayer? Or is this just s- sort, of like, sort of an afterthought? Um, and in, in, in the vein of when we talk about praying for our, our brothers and our sisters, you know, maybe, I don't know if any of us have any friends or family that may have been active in the church and are lo- no longer active. I know I have, I know I have many people in my life that I have not, that I, I know that used to go to the church or have been in the church and they're, they're no longer active in the church. And those, those th- we call the lost sheep. Have I been neglecting and praying for them? Do I say, am I my brother's keeper? What is that to me? That's a very grave sin. So um, continuing in the vein of or the idea of that I'm not praying sincerely or I'm, and I'm not praying wholeheartedly, do we pray for our enemies? We say, uh, the Lord says, pray for those who spitefully use you and pray for you. Do we pray for our enemies? Do we make it a, do we make it a point to pray for our enemies? Um, I mean, is that part of our prayer canon? You know, when we pray, for, do we pray for our family and pray for the clergy and pray for our enemies? Because that should be part of our prayer canon. We should pray for our enemies. And the church teaches us when we pray, when we pray for the, the heretics, we, don't, we pray for the heretics that they may be reformed, right? And they're enemies of us. Like, they, they're, they're, they're opposed to us. But and the but the church teaches us that we should pray for them in the liturgy. We pray uh, and we pray for the heretics. I'm not sure it's not the liturgy. It's, it's in the vespers or I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, vespers, vespers. So do we pray for our enemies? Because if we're not, then we're committing a sin. We're we're transgressing the commandment of God by not praying for our enemies. Not to mention loving our enemies and doing good to them. I mean, praying for them is just the beginning of what how we should behave with our enemies. Or even um, having a heartless and distracted prayer, which is very, is almost natural in our fallen state. But through the grace of God, we can overcome. So we read in Isaiah 29, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths 
and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me. So I'll read it again. Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their lips and honor, and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me. How often is this true in our prayer? So we go pray and we say our words and our lips are close to God, but our hearts are somewhere completely different in a completely different like time zone, like not even remotely close to what the words I'm saying. So uh, His Grace, His Eminence, uh, Metropolitan Yusuf mentioned in one small blurb in one of his ser- uh, like one blurb in one of his sermons, he said, "This distracted, heartless prayer may be a reflection of my heart is not fully loving God." Because I'm distracted by something else, or I have something that I'm worried about, and because I'm wor- that thing is so important to me that I'm not able to focus on in my time of prayer on God. Not not to say that we shouldn't worry about, you know, we shouldn't be concerned about things or t- take care of our responsibilities, but in the time of prayer, we should be able to be fully focused on God and fully with Him in our with our lips, like, like speaking with our lips. And our hearts are in tune with what we're saying wholeheartedly. And if we're not, then maybe our hearts are mixed. We have mixed, you know, affections. And we don't have a heart that's fully engaged in God. And that is a sin because the Lord said, love your Lord your God with all of your heart. So I'll move on from the way in which we may fall short with prayer to the way we may fall short in reading the scripture. So, we, sh- we should read the scripture with seriousness and alertness. We read in Amos 8, I will send a famine on the land. This is God speaking. I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So, do we have a famine of the word of God in ourselves? Are we reading the scripture that we may learn and grow closer to Christ? Or am I, impo- am I imposing a famine on the word of God in myself? Am I not reading the word of God enough or, har- or a- at all to the point to where I'm poor in myself? Like there's a famine in my heart. There's a famine in my spirit because I'm not reading the word of God. Am I imposing a famine of the word of God in myself? Or is this, is this something that I take lightly? Is this something that's important to me? Is, something, is this something that I see the value of? That I see when I read the word of God, I'm fed spiritually and I'm, re- and I'm given the mirror by which I should live? Or do I just see it as some task where I can check it off and move on with my day? We read in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So with lack, without reading the scripture, learning the scripture, understanding the scripture, and applying the scripture, we will be destroyed for lack of having the knowledge and applying that knowledge that God that God has um, that God has inspired in the scriptures for us. In the same thread, failure in failure to read the scripture with serious and alertness. So when I read the the Holy Bible, am I unresponsive to change my life, or do I read it with a sense of okay, I'm reading this so that I can change. I'm reading this so I can learn more about God, learn more about myself, 
and my shortcomings and correct my path? Is that how I'm coming when I read the word of God? Or do I read the word of God as simply a check, a check so I can move on with my day and make myself feel that I'm righteous? So we read from in John 5, Lord Christ says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which, which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he's talking to the Pharisees and, and the scholars of, of, um, of Israel. They knew the, the word of the law. They knew, like to the letter, they knew it so well. But they completely missed the spirit of it. And is this true of us, where we know the scripture, we read it, but we don't apply it in our coming to Christ in sincere repentance after we see how far we fall short or seeing his love that he's demonstrated and, and that's, that's, dem that's demonstrated in, in a very clear way in the scripture? Does that lead us to repentance? Does that lead us to come and cry to him and and weep before him and that we, we are not coming to him um, in a proper way? Something for us to think about. Um, a third point uh, on this, um, in this vein of reading the scripture with seriousness and alertness. When we come to read the scripture, do we see it as irrelevant and overly idealistic? So we discuss this verse, um, praying without ceasing, that St. Paul um, wrote to us. So when we read this, it seems, oh, it may seem, you know, like impossible, right? And it, to, to apply it perfectly for ourselves, it is impossible. But the question isn't whether it's impossible or not. The question is, am I seeking to grow in that? Am I seeking to apply this more and more in myself? Am I even trying to understand how this could even remotely be applied in my life? Or do I just see it as, okay, well, that's nice for monks, that's nice for, mon uh, nice for nuns, and that, that's a great thought, but that's not for me. Because when it's, written for, it's, when it's written in the scripture, it's written for all of us to apply in some, f some way or another. But the question is, are we, are we judging the word of God and saying this is overly idealistic? Are we letting the word of God judge me and speak to me and show me that I am falling short? Does that make sense? So I can judge the word of God and say in a wrong in a wrong way and say, this is overly idealistic, this is impractical, I'm not going to apply it. Or I can let the word of God uh, judge me and have it reflect on me and, and show me that I'm falling short. So we should judge ourselves when we're reading the scripture. We don't judge the word of God. So we read um, w an additional way in which we you know, may fall short in reading the scripture. So if you notice, we've only discussed two sorts of like sins in which we fall short. So praying appropriately and reading the scripture appropriately. But within each of these, there are many ways in which we could fall short. So failing to read the scripture, or failing to grow in reading the scripture. So we read in Hebrews 5.12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have uh, come to need milk, and not solid food. So St. Paul is rebuking the Hebrews, and he's saying, look, you have been in the faith for some time, and you should be teachers, but you need milk. I can't give you solid food because you have not been growing and learning the scriptures and applying the scriptures, 
and therefore you still need milk because you're so spiritually immature. And so he's rebuking for them for this. So are we, th- are we this way? Have we been in the church so many years and we have, we have not been growing in our knowledge of the scriptures and growing in not only in our knowledge but application of the scriptures? Are we growing in our application and growing more and more and more closer to the image of Christ? Or are we just growing in our knowledge, which knowledge by itself will lead to, to pride, which is the worst p- position we could be in? Because what, what does the scripture say? It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a very scary thought. When God opposes the proud, we should be very, sca- uh, very scared of the sin of pride, which we'll discuss in a second. But pride manifests itself in so many different ways. But, um, but we realize that, you know, in, in this instance, when St. Paul is talking to the Hebrews, they're not growing in the scripture. And so that's something we should ask ourselves and repent of if we're not growing in the scriptures and growing uh, in our knowledge and application of those. <coughs> so there's a few more, and then we'll, we'll go on to the last section. Um, so St. Paul says, rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. So do I make it a point to thank God for all the things that are troubling me? Does it even occur to me? which it seems like, like small and not that important, but it says, the scripture says, like, this is God's will for us, is that we rejoice in the Lord always and then always give thanks. So if we're not doing that, then we're falling short of the glory of God. And we may not even know what, what that even looks like because it seems so high and lofty, but we can grow step by step with the guidance of a church father to be able to grow in these virtue of rejoicing always and and giving thanks in everything. So um, the last one, the last kind of often under-recognized sin is the sin of self-satisfaction or self-sufficiency, which may be a manifestation of pride. So we may not say to ourselves, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not a very prideful person. Like I keep my head low and kind of just kind of under the radar and I'm quiet and I may c- deceive myself into thinking I'm humble, but being quiet does not necessarily mean I'm humble. So you can be, you can be quiet and have pride in yourself, right? But, y- but a humble person is quiet, but a quiet person is not always humble. So, we, so it, what, is it, what does the Lord say to the, the church in Laodicea? He says, because you say, I have need of nothing. So when we go into this fast, do we say, I have need of nothing? I don't need this fast. Do we say, I don't have need to deepen my repentance? It's very scary. We may feel that way. And that feeling should alarm, alert us and be very disturbing for us. If we say that I, have need, I don't need to fast. If we say we don't need to fast, then we're, we're like the church in Laodicea. I have need of nothing. And what is the rest of this, this verse? So Christ says, you say, I have need of nothing, but, but what? But you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And that's all of us when we're separated from Christ. We're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We are in a, in a severe state of depravity, and we may not even realize it, which is a very sad state. It's sad, it's sad to be 
in a, in, a, in a state of need and want. It's even worse to be in a state of, a state of need and want and not even know that I'm in a state of need and want and think that I'm actually rich. And what does the, church, what does the Lord Christ say about the, the church in Laodicea? He says, um, you are lukewarm. You are neither hot nor cold. So the hot could symbolize the person who's fiery and loves God and is growing in virtue and is growing in repentance and is growing um, in, his communion, in that their communion with God. And the cold person is the person who's clearly f away from God and they commit clear sin, clear and obvious sin. And in that position, they're more safe than the person who's lukewarm. Because the lukewarm person feels they're, they're, they're all right. They feel I have need of nothing. They, they don't feel that they're in terrible sin. And so it's hard for them to be redeemed. It's hard for them to come to God in sincere repentance because their sins are kind of hidden from them. But the cold person, they do sins very obvious and they are more likely to repent sincerely than the lukewarm person. And the lukewarm person is the person who says, I have need of nothing. And what did Christ say? He said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So this, this state of self-satisfaction, this state of self-sufficiency, this feeling of I have need of nothing, that I don't need this fast, that I don't need to repent, is a very, very scary sin. It's very scary. And it's very hard to be healed from it. But the Lord can save us from, from this terrible sin. Okay. So just some homework for us. So I'm going to put the list of the sins that we discussed. So we can choose one sin that we can focus on the rest of the fast. Okay. So we can focus on asking God to deliver us from the sin. And we can focus on fasting Asking God concurrently while we're fasting that we ask God to forgive us of the sin. Because the beauty of fasting, fasting is an enormous blessing for us. So when, when St. Paul had the thorn in the flesh, what did he do when he had the thorn in the flesh? So he prayed, and what did he say? So he said, remove this from me, right? And he prayed three times. And what did the Lord Christ say to him? Hmm? What did he say to him? He said, my strength is, is sufficient for you, for my strength is perfected in weakness, right? So the physical, the physical weakness that we have in our body will lead to internal humility of the heart if we respond correctly to that, okay? The same way, if we humble our body by fasting, and we seek God in repentance, this will lead to humility of the heart. So humility of the body will lead to humility of the heart if we turn it to God. In illness and in fasting. So fasting is a wonderful blessing, a wonderful tool for us to humble ourselves. If we say that, okay, I have no humility, okay, start fasting. It'll make you feel weak and tell, say, Lord, have mercy. And that, that Lord, have mercy will be so much more meaningful on an empty stomach than on a sluggish, full stomach. So here's a list of the, there are actually two pages. Uh, so here's a list of some of the sins that we discussed. Let's all choose one and sincerely ask God for forgiveness. And in a way, and if there's any way in which we feel that we can improve on it, like in a practical way, we can. So for example, if 
I feel that, okay, I'm neglecting, fail, I, I'm neglecting to pray for the body of Christ, well, then we can make a list of people on our hearts of people that we should pray for. And we could pray for those people the rest of the fast, maybe even beyond the fast, right? Or we can, if we're neglecting to pray for enemies, we can remember the people that aggravate us and annoy us and abuse us, and we include them in our list of prayers that we pray every day. Just a small step, practical way, practical small step to, to, f to follow the commandment of God. Or if, m if I feel that my prayers are heartless and distracted, then, we then before we start praying, we can say, God, um, may the me meditation of my heart be pleasing to you during this time. So before I start praying, I say a small prayer before I pray. And I say, God, please let, the, let the, the meditation of my heart, the place of my heart, be pleasing to you during this time. And then try to really focus on Focusing in prayer. So, or, you know, when we, when we read the, the Bible, we should ask ourselves, am I measuring up to the standard that the scripture is telling me, or am I not? Um, how can I improve in whatever I'm reading? How can I improve? It's like, practically speaking, what are steps that I can take? Um, and then ask God for grace to improve. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Or, um, for example, if I read, if I judge the word of God as irrelevant and over overly idealistic, like we said, we should ask ourselves, am I judging the word of God? Am I, or am I allowing it to judge me? And am I rebuking myself because I'm, I'm judging it? Or am, or am I rebuking myself because um, I fall short? Or am I just judging the word of God? We, so, so, some things we can ask ourselves. Uh, so lack of maturity in reading the scripture. So a wonderful resource that we have in, in deepening our understanding of scripture. Like if we feel that we've read the same passage multiple times throughout, uh, you know, the past couple of years and we don't, we, we don't have anything more we can add as far as understanding it, maybe we can go to Metropolitan Yusuf's um, Bible study and he has a Bible study on suscops.org. There's a Bible study link. And he has the whole New Testament commentary. And he'll give you some more insight as to, he'll give you more solid food. And he'll give you from the, from the church father's guidance on how to read the scripture. It's a wonderful resource to, inc to increase or mat uh, mature in our understanding of the word of God and to apply the word of God. Uh, let's see. Oh, so if I feel that, oh, I, I fall short of uh, rejoicing in the Lord and give thanks always, then maybe at the end of the day, although it might seem silly, but it's, it's, it's actually very, very important for us. Maybe we could say two or three things that we thank God for that were that the in which the day did not go well. Although it seems very unnatural, but that might be the right step in the right direction to help us rejoice in the Lord and give thanks always. So just some exercises for us to grow in these commandments that God has given us that we might f uh, walk in his will. So when we're de dealing with this, the, the idea of self-satisfaction or self-sufficiency, do we ask, we should ask myself, like, am I content with where I am spiritually right now? Like there's a, there's a healthy level of, okay, I'm growing closer to Christ and 
I'm not perfected, but I'm growing and I'm endeavoring to grow and I have a spiritual ambition to grow, right? That is different than I'm cool and that and that's it. That that's different. So there's a spirit there should be spiritual ambition to want to grow to cl- grow closer to Christ more and more. And if but still be satisfied with where I am now. That is different than just saying, oh, I'm cool, I'm all right, I, I'm, I'm straight, you know? It's very, that's different. Those are different things, right? So we should feel this sense of urgency of growing closer to Christ, but still be satisfied for, for with where he has me right now. So a caveat to all of this, so we listed a lot of sins that might really be demoralizing because they seem, all seem impossible, and they are impossible without the grace of God. But we have to remember that when we, when we are thinking about these sins and we repent of them, we, sit, we, we have this sorrow because of our state and sin, but we have godly sorrow. So godly sorrow is sorrow with hope and God's forgiveness, and that will lead to repentance. This is in contrast with the worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I see the state I'm in, but, I, that's, but I'm... There's, my heart is completely void of the, of the grace of God and the hope that God will forgive me, and that will lead to despair because all I see is the negative, and then I have no hope that God will heal me. So the last verse I wanted to, uh, us to, just to leave us with is this verse from Philippians from St. Uh, Paul. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we, we are pressing forward. There's labor involved. There's intention involved. That should be true of our reading the scripture. That should be true of our repentance. There should be work. There should be focus, seriousness, determination. We're relying on the grace of God. And, um, and in the end, we will come close to Christ, closer to Christ, and the joy of his resurrection at the end of the fast. Any questions or comments? No. Glory be to God forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to come to your house. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for the blood that you shed on the cross for us. Please, O Lord, let us um, not neglect this time of um, deep repentance. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to offer sincere, wholehearted repentance. Teach us to read the scripture through the working of your Holy Spirit in us. Through the intercession of St. Mary, the Mother of God, St. Paul, and all your saints, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.